we're in a series right now called Investigating Jesus. We're going through the book of Luke verse by verse, and uh, we're taking our time because we want to make sure that we get as best an understanding as we possibly can as we go through these verses. I don't have a video to, for the scripture this week. The program I use, I updated my computer, and the program I used to, to put those on this computer stopped working, so I have to figure that out for next week. But uh, So I'll just read it. It's a, not nearly as long as some of the others that we've read before, and just kind of give you a picture of what we're talking about. Luke chapter 1, Verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no. He is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately, his mouth was opened, Zachariah's mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, People were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. I've got just a few things that I want to point out in this passage this morning. First, I want to just kind of go over it and, and show you a couple of things that are significant as we study on. Uh, remember, this is, this is Zechariah who was visited by the angel Gabriel, and when he was visited, he showed his doubt, his unbelief, and so he was punished for not believing with silence. And the word that was used to describe his silence is actually used other places in the New Testament to talk about not only being unable to speak, but being unable to hear. And that's not explicitly clear in the text in, in that it doesn't say he could not hear, but we get an idea from this passage that that is true, that he was not able to hear because they were making signs to him at one point in this passage, and you don't generally make signs to someone who can hear. So um, that's, that's a part of it. But I just want to go back over a couple of things and, and point some things out. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to her son. Now, going back one verse, we need to pay attention to the timeline of what's taking place. In verse 56, it says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So Mary was there right up until the time or right up until after the time that John the Baptist, the baby John, was born. And so that's probably how we get the story of John the Baptist and all of the information was because Luke interviewed Mary as a part of his pursuit of what happened in the life of Jesus. And so we know uh, this from, from Mary's telling of what took place. There's also some interesting things that, that uh, as you put together the fact that when Elizabeth was six months along, was, was that, that was the time that, uh, that Mary came to visit, and then about nine months, or I, it was longer than that, it was about nine months after that visit that, that Mary actually had the baby Jesus, and so we can actually get close to or a general idea of when Jesus was born based on that in combination with the, uh, with the time that Zechariah was serving because we know that he was 
in the order of Abijah. So that tells us about the time of year that he was serving in the temple. And so uh, based on what I was studying this week, their, their best guess is that Jesus was actually born in, you know, around October, maybe November time frame. Not December, but no one was actually certain of his date of birth, so we celebrated on December 25th. That was a day that was just decided. So, um, but there's some things to note that where Luke is just piecing together the details of the story to lay out the timeline to present the facts in a way that it's clear that this stuff actually did happen. Verse 59 says, on uh, the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. It was, it was customary that you circumcise the child on the eighth day, and we get that, I think, from Leviticus chapter 12. If you want to go look that up, you can read the instructions about circumcision. I'm not going to get into the details about that, but it was on the eighth day that circumcision was supposed to take place. It was not, however, tradition to name the child on the eighth day. That was not stipulated, at least in the Old Testament. There are examples of, of, of children being named on the eighth day, like Moses was named on the eighth day, and others who were named on the eighth day, they received the name on the day of their circumcision. But it wasn't stipulated, and so the question is, you know, is, is Luke pointing something out? Some, uh, some of the commentaries I was reading this week, they say that maybe Luke is pointing to the fact that, that the uh, Jewish people had started to adopt a lot of the practices of the, of the Greek, the Greco-Roman culture that they were living in, and uh, this was a, pr- a common practice in the, in the Roman culture to name your child about the eighth or ninth day, depending on whether it was a male or female. Another, another interesting thing to note is that uh, in this time, everyone was hoping for a boy. They wanted, they wanted a boy, especially as your firstborn, to be a boy. And the point was to carry on the family name, to carry on the family lineage. And so, uh, so girls weren't really celebrated when they were born. Now, we can see, at least from, from reading Scripture, that girls weren't necessarily treated any differently in Scripture, but they weren't celebrated. In fact, uh, culture uh, uh, study tells us that when, when the baby was born, they would actually they would have, up until the time the baby was born, maybe have, have some musicians there kind of celebrating the fact that it was about the time for the baby to be born. And if the baby was born a male, then the musicians would continue on and they'd continue on the celebration and just kind of kind of mold into this eight day long festival the celebration of the birth of the baby but if the baby was born a female then the musicians would just kind of silently sneak off and 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 abandon i'm not saying it was right it's just the, the cultural practices of the day. But we can actually see in Scripture that, that Luke and Jesus and the rest of the New Testament authors do a lot, and they have a very intentional desire to, to kind of contradict the way women were treated in their culture. Um, a good example would be Paul when he says that in Christ there is neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. We're all the same in Christ. And so Paul is setting that, and we can see that Jesus actually broke a lot of those standards and traditions because he had women who were some of his closest followers and his uh, disciples. But on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, this word no is actually an emphatic word where she's saying, absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
which would be kind of a, a bold thing for a woman in this culture to do, to, to oppose those who are going to. I mean, think about, think about the, the culture and how things are. Here, Elizabeth is the one that just had this child. And there's a group of family and friends around here, and they have the gall to name her kid, right? And it seems absolutely ridiculous, although it is a picture of the way the culture was. And so, so you imagine now... Elizabeth, who's not supposed to take a strong stance, but because Zachariah hasn't been talking for nine months, you know, she's become the woman of the house and making all the decisions, and she's the one that, that interacts with Mary. And so she says, absolutely not. He is to be called John. And they said to her, are you, are you crazy, woman? There's no one among your relatives that has that name. Why, where would you get this name, John? And then we have this phrase, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Uh, the word here kind of connotates the idea. Uh, it's not so much hand gestures. Maybe it was hand gestures that they were using, but, but it's more of a, of a head nod kind of a thing, like the nodding of a head, like, are you going to do anything, man? <laughs> Elizabeth's kind of out of control. You're going to name the kid John. We think it should be named after you because, you know, you're Zechariah. You were a priest. You've been serving all of the people in our community. You've taught us all these years. And now, you poor guy, you can't even speak or hear anything. We just, we just thought you would be a good, a good guy. So, so uh, what does he do? He asks for a writing tablet. It's not a writing. Uh, they didn't have paper back in this time. So a writing tablet was actually a piece of wood that had wax on it, and they had a stick that had a point on it, and they could, they could write in the wax to, to write some, some small languages, some small, uh, some small messages, I mean. And so you imagine this is what he's been using to communicate this whole time. He's had just this little tablet, and he can write just small little phrases, and he grabs this tablet that has wax on it and this, and this little pencil to scrape in here this, this phrase, and he says, his name is John, to everyone's astonishment. And then here there is this very, very important word that we need to take note of as we go through the study of the book of Luke in verse 64. It says, immediately. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Immediately as we go through the book of Luke, this word immediately is going to be used to talk about the miracles that Jesus would perform. And so immediately will be the language that proceeds. You know, immediately his his mouth was opened, or immediately he regained his sight, or immediately he stood up and walked. Or, you know, the word immediately is the language of a miracle. And so here we again have at the beginning of the story of Jesus Christ miracles that are bringing his story to the people immediately. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak. And what were the first words that came out of his mouth when he began to speak? What was, the, what was, what was it that he started with? Was it, I'm hungry? It's so good to be able to talk again. can't believe I can speak says, immediately he began to speak, praising God. And that's what we're going to talk about next week in Zachariah's song, how he praised God as a response. 
We're going to look at next week a lot of the a lot of the prophecies that are being fulfilled in in this passage as a result of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. There's so many uh, so many references here in Zechariah's song. So we're going to take some time to do that next week. But immediately after after having gone through this time, he he came to praise God. And I think a lot of us would maybe question that. Like if, if, if we had just come through a nine-month period of, of God essentially punishing us for our doubt, would the first words that come out of our mouth be praise to God? Or, or would we have a few words to give God? So it's about time. Can't do much as a priest without my ability to speak. And ask the question, what is, what is our response after God leads us through things that are for our good? Do we respond to those things with humility? And humility always leads us to worship God. Or do we respond out of our pride and think primarily of ourselves? And all the neighbors were filled with awe and all throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this, there was a buzz going around town of this story, what was going on, wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be for the Lord's hand was with him? Three points I want to point out, and then we're gonna, we'll, we'll wrap up. The first point I want to make is that I think John is making this point here by showing us this, that, that God's promises are true. I think John or, uh, or Luke has laid th- this out, the story of John the Baptist and the prophecy of the angel telling what was going to happen and then showing its fulfillment within the same scroll, within the same message. He's showing that, that God, through the angel Gabriel, made a promise and then that promise was fulfilled. The promise of God came true. And it's very important that we understand that when God promises something, it absolutely will come true. God does not make vain promises like we tend to make or like we have experienced in our lives where where people will make a promise and then back out on that promise or people say they're going to do something and then they just decide, no, I'm not going to do that. God does not promise in the way that we promise. So when God makes a promise, that promise will come true. And Luke is making that point here. And there are three things that show us that the promises of God through the angel Gabriel actually came true when John the Baptist was born. First, there's the promise that Elizabeth actually had the baby. Gabriel said that, that uh, this old woman, remember the angel talks about this, this woman and, and uh, Zachariah's response is, we're too old to have kids. You know, we're, we're, we're old, we're beyond childbearing years, and still Elizabeth had the baby. That was a promise that came true. There was another promise that has come true. In verse 14 of chapter 1, it says that he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Many will rejoice because of his birth. And then look here in verse 58. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Verse 65, all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Filled with awe and filled with joy, people shared her joy. So that promise came true. And the third promise that came true was Zechariah wasn't able to speak 
until these things had happened. We see this from the angel Gabriel in chapter 1 when he responds. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, verse 19. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And when these words come true, after he named the child John, just like Gabriel had told him to name the child John, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. The promises of God came true in the this, in this short time frame that we see in the life of Zechariah and in the birth of John the Baptist. And it's important that we, that we lay this foundation, that we understand that God's promises come true so that we can understand when God makes promises about our lives and our futures that they are going to come true in the same fashion. Because our very salvation is a promise. Right? Our, our, the promise of our salvation is a promise that God has made to us and, and our ability to trust that promise is built on seeing other promises that have come true. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For no matter how many promises God has ma- made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. There is no promise God has made that is a no. They are yes. And so through him, Through Christ, the amen, the so be it, is spoken by us to the glory of God. God's promises are true. Secondly, the Lord's hand was with him. This phrase is used at the end of this passage. In verse, uh, at the end of verse 66, it says, Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. This is Luke's commentary on the situation. This is Luke... Luke, after investigating, he sees that the Lord's hand was with him. And asking this question, what then is this child going to be, shows that the Lord's hand was with him. And the reason I think we need to stop and point that out is because there's a tendency when we're reading stories in Scripture to only read about the characters that are in the story, but all stories in Scripture end up being stories about God. And everything in Scripture is pointing to God. In fact, everything in Scripture is God revealing himself to us so that we can understand who he is, so that we can better have the mind of Christ. We're going to talk about that more in a few weeks when we get to the, the passages about the wilderness. But, but God wants us to have his mind, the mind of Christ. And, and to do that, we have to, start, we have to start understanding God's story and God's perspective and how he sees things. And so all Scripture is God revealing himself to us. In fact, Jesus would say in John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And Psalm 18, verse 30 says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. The word of the Lord proves true, and in fact, the word of the Lord is full of many promises of God that are true. So if if the promises are true, then also the word of God is true. And so it's important that as we we look at these stories, that we're not just looking at John the Baptist and, and Zachariah and Elizabeth and even 
Mary and Joseph, but that we're looking through this, that what is God revealing about himself in these passages? What is God trying to teach us about himself as we study this? Because the Lord's hand was with him. The Lord's hand was with John the Baptist for a very important purpose. God's promises are true. The Lord's hand was with him. And then thirdly, the name. Let's talk about the name. John the Baptist. Why, why John? Well, John the Baptist refers to what he did. He was a baptizer, and so that was how he became known. And, and at the very beginning of his life, he would have been known as John Bar Zachariah, son of Zachariah. So that would have been his name. He would have been John, the son of Zachariah. But he becomes John the Baptist, and some of that is significant, but we'll talk about that later. But, but why, why John and why not Zechariah? Well, let's look into the meanings of the names like we were doing earlier in the service. The meanings of Zechariah is remembered of Jehovah or Jehovah remembers. And we're going to find the, the, the significance of that name actually in Zechariah's song where he says here in verse 72, this is later, he says, um, that praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, and verse 72, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. Zechariah means God remembered. God remembered. And so Zechariah kind of just paints this picture that, that the promises that God had made to the people of the Old Testament is, is something that is actually going to be fulfilled now in the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry and in the life of Jesus, God actually remembered. And so we see this name, Zechariah, that God remembered. But, but that wasn't all that was taking place when Jesus Christ was coming on the scene, right? Jesus wasn't just coming to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. There's a lot more that involves us and the Gentiles and the salvation of the whole world that becomes a part of Jesus' ministry. And so John means... It's a, short, it's a shortened word of, uh, it's, it's kind of like John and on. I don't know how to pronounce it. Rob can tell you after the service if you really want to know. But it means God has graced. God is a gracious giver. Zechariah means God remembers, but John means God is a gracious giver. And so I think there is significance in the fact that his name was John because John, remember, he is the one that is preparing the way for Jesus Christ to come on the scene who was the grace, right? Jesus Christ is the grace for all of us and he was going to lay down his life to provide and the way for the promise of God for our salvation to actually come to fulfillment. And so John was preparing the way for grace that was walking among us. And so, so John means God is gracious, God has graced. It's almost as though John coming on the scene says that grace, grace is here. Grace has arrived. But I think there's maybe a little bit more to it than that. Uh, this is, these are my thoughts and in light of some other passages of scripture. Usually in the Bible, we've talked about this before, that when God gave someone a new name, it was to give them a new identity. God changed Abram's name, which meant Abram meant high father to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. When he gave 
Abram the promise that he would be the father of many nations, so he changed his name to father of many nations. And Sarah, her name was Sarai, my princess, and her name or it's, it's actually has the connotations of, of, of siblinghood or sister, you know, my sister, my princess, to Sarah, the mother of nations. And so, so when God gives Abraham and Sarah the new promise, he changes their name to match the promise that had been given to them. And we see that John would actually go on to prepare the way for God to pour out his grace on the world. He did some significant things. He preached in the wilderness a message of repentance, and many were baptized. He was the one who baptized Jesus when it was time for Jesus to begin his public ministry, and he confronted the political leaders of his day for the life that they were living. So John, in fact, would go on to do some significant things that talk about his name, the fulfillment of his name, preparing the way for grace. But we have to ask ourselves the question, why did God get involved in the naming of John and Jesus? I mean, there are other prophets all throughout the Old Testament that, that God did not get involved in the naming of. Why, why would God get involved in naming these that, that were coming on? Why is this such a big deal? It could be that they had a specific meaning that God wanted their names to be attached to them for their identity, for their ministry. That could be a part of it. It could be that he wanted Zechariah to be obedient, so he was just giving the name John so that Zechariah would have to be obedient to him. There, that's a possibility. There may be other reasons. But I don't really think that the point is so much about the name. I think that the name is significant, and there's a lot we can learn from the name, but I don't think the point is just about the name. I think the point is about how God knew in advance that they would live their lives. So I don't think it's about their name. I think it's the way that they live their lives, and it's the way that John the Baptist actually lived his life that causes us to recall his name and think about his name the way we do. If John the Baptist had, had ignored God and had not done what God had given him to do and had just gone off and been disobedient, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know about John the Baptist. But John the Baptist was faithful to the call that God had put on his life. And so because of that, we recall his name as John the Baptist. And he's the one that Jesus spoke of, among women, there is none greater born. But it's because of the way he lived out his life that we think of him that way. In fact, it's the way that Jesus lived his life that causes us to think about him the way we do when we remember his name. We remember Jesus because Jesus was not just the Son of Man, but the Son of God, and he came and lived the perfect, blameless life for all of us, and, and he laid down his life for us, and he, he sacrificed himself so that we could be in the presence of God someday, and the promises of God could be fulfilled in us. The reason we think about Jesus the way we do, the reason the whole world remembers Jesus and thinks positively about Jesus is because the life that Jesus lived. See, their name paved the way for purpose, but they still had to be faithful in living it out. The name that God gave them paved the possibility, said, here's the purpose. God has graced, and, but now it was on John the Baptist and his parents and his family to actually make sure that he was faithful in living out his calling. So yeah, it's, you know, names are... 
Names are important. They're, they're big deals. But it's not so much about what they call you. It's about what comes to mind when they recall you. Right? It's, it's not so much the names that people call you that makes a difference. It's what comes to their minds when they recall you. And remember, like we talked about at, at the beginning, there are some names that, that when we speak them, when we say them, they just kind of conjure up the wrong feelings. You know, somebody says a name and it brings up anger or bitterness. Maybe it brings sadness or sorrow. Somebody says a name and it just, and it just, and it just sets you off in the wrong direction. See, it's not about what they call you. It's about what comes to mind when they recall you. And that's what comes to mind when we recall some of these people in our lives. It's the things that have happened. But what about us? What comes to mind in the lives of those around us when, when they recall us? Is it, is it the same thing? Are, are they angry or bitter or is there joy? Is there, is there this thinking about Jesus because they thought of you? When people say your name and, and your name is mentioned, do they think, oh, man, that, that is somebody that, that is really, really passionate about following Jesus and giving their life to following Christ? That is, that is somebody who has laid down their life for the cause of the gospel, or is it, uh, yeah, that David guy, I mean, I, I, work, I work with him. I mean, I see him a couple times a week. I mean, we don't really talk. He, he sits in that cubicle over there and kind of keeps to himself. They may know our name, but what comes to mind when they recall your name? I think some of the great significance of John the Baptist is that what comes to our mind when we recall his name is that he was was perfectly human just like we were. He was born, he had, I mean, he had a calling of God placed on his life, but, but he does not have an immaculate conception like Jesus did, but he's just, he's just a, a son of a woman, just like all of us are sons and daughters of humans. And yet he lived this life, this life that actually, that actually led to his dying in prison. We remember him for the life that he led. We remember Paul for the life that he led. We remember the disciples for the lives that they led after they, after they started the church as Jesus had commanded them to do. We, we remember them because of the lives that they led. And, and this is the thing that I know is going to be true about each and every one of us. You know, we talk about it, we think about it when it comes to our deathbeds. And what are people going to think about when they remember us when it's time for us to, to move on, to be in the presence of God? Do they well, they have memories that, yeah, this, this was somebody that was sold out to Jesus. This was somebody who, who loved the people in, their, in his life like, like no other. This was someone who, who loved their family sacrificially, who, who gave up things so that their family could have what they needed. This was somebody who, who actually sacrificed things for me, and I'm just a friend. I'm not, I'm not a member of the family. I'm just, I'm just somebody that they know, and yet, yet they sacrificed for me. Is, it, is that the memory that's going to come to mind, or will it be something else? Will it be, yeah, that, that guy... I remember him, but I can't really remember what he did. It's not so much about what they call you. It's about what comes to mind when they recall you. I'm going to ask that you stand, ask the worship team to come forward. And
During the song, we invite you to come get the elements of communion. We'll take communion together after the song. But for Zachariah, a big part of how we remember him is he doubted and he was made silent. In fact, that's a very significant part of the story that Luke recorded in the st- in his retelling of the story of Jesus. Did God redeem that? Yes, God God took that and he used that and God can take all of those things and and redeem them for his greater purposes. I believe that that is a big part of how God's redemption works. It's not just redeeming us as individuals, but he redeems our stories and wants to use our stories for his higher calling, his higher purposes, not just in our life, but in the lives of others around us. But at this point in time, you know, if if people are recalling your name, is there is Christ attached to it? If people are recalling my name, is Christ attached to it? If people think about us outside of the context of six eight churches, is Christ attached to our names? When they recall us, is there is there any connection to Jesus, or is it just you know we're kind of we're kind of wrapped up in in our own lives and our own things and doing our own plans and making our own way and it's easy for that to happen. It's easy for that to happen to me, and I have to ask the question, is, is this true of me? If people recall me, do they think about Jesus in me, or do they just think about that David guy? I just want to ask us this morning as we continue on in this study of investigating Jesus and, and getting things kind of laid out in this order, it's... What do people think of when they when they recall you? What do people think of when they recall me? And if up until this point the the recalling that people do isn't what you want it to be or what God would want it to be, if it's if it's not the memory that that God would want those people to have of you, then maybe like John's ministry was all about, we need to repent. We need to turn away from those things that are creating that image of us in people's minds and and allow Christ to come in and totally saturate everything about who we are so that the image of us becomes Christ in us, not us. So I just want to pray for us this morning and ask that you bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I'm sure this is true for all of us. Whether right now or some point in our not-too-distant past, there's, there's a recalling of us that, that we wish wasn't being recalled. There's a way of thinking about us that we wish, we wish wasn't being thought. Father, I pray right now in this moment that, that you would by the power of your Holy Spirit living and active in this place, living and active in our lives, that, that you would fill us to overflowing with the power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to live lives worthy of being recalled. Not to live, you know, that we all have to go off and 
quit our jobs and go be in seminary and try to follow, you know, into the full-time ministry, but that in our day-to-day lives right now where you have placed us, that, that you would, by the power of your Spirit living in us day in and day out, help us live lives in front of unbelievers, in front of the darkness, in front of those who, who don't yet know you in such a way that when they see us, they see Christ shining through us. Father, I pray that, that you would give us courage when, when it feels like we're taking a stand that may cost us something to actually take that stand and, and shine for you in a way we haven't shown for you in the past. And I pray, Father, that, that you would give us a boldness like John the Baptist had because we know the purpose for which you've called us, and that is to go into the world and make disciples. I pray, Father, that, that you would fill us with, with the power of your Holy Spirit to go out and live that out in our day-to-day lives. Not to just feel good about it in here for a few minutes, not to just, not to just think, oh, this is something that I want my life to be, but that, that you actually lead us to a, a moment, to a, a point in our lives where we actually change who we are from this point forward, where we repent and we look at the lives that we've led till now and we turn away from that and say, I'm turning away from who I was and I'm turning towards you. I'm turning away from my selfish pursuits and my selfish desires and I'm turning towards Christ in me. Father, I pray that that be our call, that that when people recall us, that when people recall everyone who's gathered here this morning and they interact with us throughout the course of this week and that as they're sitting on their couch on Saturday morning watching cartoons or college football, that that you bring us to mind in their minds and, and they recall Christ in us and that draws them towards you. Father, I pray that, that you would fill our hearts to overflowing with this message that, that God's promises are true, that his, his promises never fail. All of his promises are yes, and we see that in Christ. Fill us with the spirit of Christ to be the fulfillment of those promises to the unbelieving world that we may bring the light of Christ before those who are living in the darkness. And Father, I pray right now for those that we are surrounded by. And if you're here in this room, I just ask you for, for just a minute to, to think about those who surround you in your life that don't know Christ. Allow God to bring them to your mind. Allow God to bring them up, bring up their names in your mind. Allow God to remind you of the person that sits here or there, the, the person that you do this with or the person that invites you to come do that with them. I pray this prayer for them, and I ask you to echo this prayer in your hearts. You don't have to do it out loud, but pray through this prayer with me. As we read in, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The God of this age has blinded the eyes of the hearts of those who don't believe. So, Father, we pray right now, we join together in prayer for those who are around us who don't believe in you, that that you would send the power of your spirit to open the eyes of their hearts. 
Father, that you, that you go into every cubicle that we're surrounded by, that you go into to every mind that, that is surrounding us, to every house that is surrounding us in our neighborhoods, that you go into to every relationship that, that we are a part of in, in the course of a week, that you go and you go before us in all of those, and that you go in and you open the eyes of the hearts that have been blinded to the things of God. And we pray, Father, that you open their eyes to be able to see you through the lives that we're leading, through the lives that we're living. I pray, Father, that they would see Christ shining through us, that they wouldn't just be drawn to us for our names, that they'd be drawn to us for your name and that your name would be made great in the lives that we are leading throughout this week. And, Father, I pray that as their eyes are opened, that you would give us the courage and the boldness to not only live the truth, but to speak the truth, that they may know of the promises of God that exist for them if they choose to receive. We thank you for all the good and great things that you have done for us. We want to worship you in response for those great things. But, Father, let us not become selfish in our worship, only worshiping for how it makes us feel. But, Father, let our worship of you drive us to want to go and be the change that you've called us to be in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.